Thank you, Lord. Wow. So last week we started looking at grace, taking an objective look from God's perspective. And how many of you pondered any of that this week? What'd you get in your ponderings and wanderings of your mind? Cool. Clearly, he initiates grace. And we respond. And we respond in different timelines, different timetables, so to speak, different moments, but always responding in the now. I'm just going to be stuck on in the now from the rest of my life, I think. Just so you guys, I'm just prepping you. If you get tired of hearing in the now, get over it. And we started, we did a, an audience participation last week where we wrote a bunch of things out and we talked about grace and what your impressions of grace were. And, you know, I encourage you to, I, I gave an assignment to Ed Lixie a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Go back and look at where you were five years ago and come forward and see where you are now. And see what God has done as he's begin to unpack grace. It doesn't mean we don't have trials, and it doesn't mean we don't have troubles, but, you know, that old song, Nobody knows the troubles I have. Bull. That's bull. God knows. He's not abandoned us in those troubles. And frequently he uses those troubles to take us deeper. Takes us deeper. And sometimes we participate in fighting the battle just as he said there in that that song but sometimes it's just letting him fight the battle because it's not about us doing anything we already know the end of the book right who wins we do we do and when was that victory accomplished before the foundations of the earth, the of the earth. so there is this before the foundations of the earth, victory that we get to tap into. And it comes through us through grace. And I just want to remind you that Don Keithley defines grace as everything that God did for us through the Son out of His unconditional love and His unmerited kindness to bring us into a loving relationship with Himself. We will be known by our love. He is known by His love by his love towards us, by his love towards humanity. That's how God is known. That's how we are known as those who follow him. And I was pondering that, the thought of that, we, we are known by our love as Christians. And these times are really a test for us. If you followed any of the Supreme Court nomination process in the last 10 days. These are challenging times in the natural. And every spear that can be thrown has been thrown. Every arrow that can be slung has been slung. Uh, you know, a man with who in, has had 30 plus years of a stellar reputation has been besmirched and destroyed in 10 days. And yet... His 10-year-old daughter has the wisdom to say, can we pray for the accuser? Mm -hmm. 
I'll tell you what, that's the victory for that man. Because he has conveyed, he and his wife have conveyed the heart of God. Not to cast stones at your enemies, but to pray. And, and when you see others, when you see those who are casting stones at you as those who have the love of Christ towards them and in them but don't know it yet, we don't have to cast stones back. We cast love bombs. We tell them how loved they are, even in the midst of the vileness of their activities of the day. And that's because we have a God who gives us unconditional love and unmerited kindness. If we can just anchor in that thought that our God loves us unconditionally and He loves everyone in our circle unconditionally and He displays unmerited kindness and as we meditate on that, our hearts start to change. We start to see others differently. We can speak love into them. We can call up love from the depth of the well that's in them, that God has put in them and connect to that and help them receive it as well. How many of you want to do that? Here's the rhetorical question. How many of you would rather cast spears? That's a rhetorical question. Just, just saying. And we talked about grace starts from before the creation in eternity. And grace is a message of union. You don't pay dues either. I just thought of that. Hey, that was pretty good, God. <laughs> yeah, and it's grace is totally unilateral, initiated and completed by God. We covered the first two last week. We're going to cover the last three today. Grace is manifested in us by the person of Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, and grace is perfected in us by metanoia. So, as we covered the first two, we had, we talked about it begins in eternity. Um, I will pop print anybody that wants a copy of the PowerPoint. I'll print it up if you ask me or I'll send it to you by email. But this was that quote from Concepts of, of Eternity by Doug Estes. Seeing the word eternity may conjure up the image of an outstretched horizon receding as far as we can see or in a type of heavenly realm. An Elysian plain with warm sun and cloudless sky. However, eternity is actually a complex idea that relates to how people understand God and their place in the universe. And I really just want to mention from that part today is, do you see God as distant and to be realized someday in the future, or do you understand He's here, He's now, He's in us? That's the dichotomy of the church today. The evangelical Calvinistic perception is you never have, a, you never have the revelation of God really until you're in eternity. But my scriptures that I understand that says this is eternal life. To know God and the one whom he has sent, his son. And that's to know him now. It's not a future postponement. It's a physical, emotional, mental reality now. Depending on your perspective, on which one of those you're in, it dictates how you relate to God and how you relate to others. And so we, what are, one of the things we're doing is studying from God's perspective that it's a now event. And it began before the foundation of the universe, 
but it started to manifest right away. Even in Adam's transgression, there was an immediate manifestation because God showed up and go, Adam, where are you? He didn't abandon him. He didn't leave him. He didn't reject him. There was the immediate manifestation of his grace followed by a prophetic word that says her son, the seed of this woman, will crush the serpent's head. So immediately after the transgression, God is on the move. And he hasn't stopped moving. He is seated now through Christ with us in the heavenly places. We're seated with him, but he's still on the move because his love is always, always active. Always active towards us. Never passive. Never demanding. But always pouring into us more and more revelation, life, light to drive out whatever darkness is trying to to impact us. That's our God. And we also talked about how it's rooted in how people perceive time. That's what we're somewhat what we were just talking about. And I'm not going to go back over all of this, but it will be on the website in a couple of weeks. We're, by the way, we're changing IT people, so there's going to be a little delay in getting some things on the up on the website. But if you want a tape or a CD from last week, let me know and I'll get you one. And we talked about like in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, for thus says the, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is a God-initiated event. This is a God-initiated activity, grace, initiated by him. From eternity to eternity, I am God, and no one can snatch anyone out of my hand. I'm telling you that the days of thinking that the devil can take you out are over. No one can take me out of God's hand. No one can take you out of God's hand. And every time I hear an evangelical thought now about well, the devil does this and the devil does that. I'm going, that's like fingers on the chalkboard. Because I come back to this verse. No one can snatch me out of God's hand. And the only thing the devil can do is lie to me and trick me. Unless I give him power. And I give him power because I, by activating his lies in my life. And so God is constantly working in us to take those lies and break them. Right? Let's go to... I'm just trying to highlight a few things from last week. Ephesians 1.4 Just as He chose us in, in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. I'm not homely. I'm holy. I'm not with fault. I am blameless. I am not unloved. I'm loved that's a mental shift that's a heart shift that's a that's a whole attitude perceptive change that has occurred in my life you see because i would look at myself five years ago as trying to strive to be holy but never getting there and i i think i some of you may know i've said this before 
when I was about maybe about 20, 25, 20, between 20 and 25 years ago, I spent a whole year studying holiness. Working with a book from, I think it was Jerry Bridges on holiness. And after a year, I threw the book against the wall and going, this is impossible to accomplish. <laughs> and you know what? It is impossible for me to accomplish. Why? Because it's already been accomplished. <laughs> Before the foundation of the universe, he declared me holy, and he's declared you holy. And we don't have to strive to be holy. We are holy. And it's not defined by our behaviors. It's defined by him. John? Even when we mess up. Why is that feeling so strong when we get that? Because we've been tr- taught since a little kid that if you do bad, you get punished. And it's been and that's been reinforced at almost every stage of our life, especially in the church. The church constantly reinforces do good, get good, do bad, get bad. That's what they were taught, that's what they taught us, and that triggers guilt and shame and condemnation, just as Adam experienced it in the beginning. And that then triggers a response of withdrawing from God. So we withdraw from God. God does not withdraw from us. Ever. You know a little bit about my story. I do. I did a lot of that shame and guilt. My daughter called me from Texas this morning and said, Dad, don't go through all that all the time. He has. Because he sees my reaction to certain things. And then, even way out in Texas, he knows. Mm-hmm. God spoke to her heart about you and said, Dad, don't go there. You are awesome, John. And we are privileged to know you as a brother. And we are privileged to say to you, you are not condemned. You have never been condemned. And all of us have made choices in our life which which we wish we could take back at times. And those choices have driven us at times. But the more we understand His unconditional love does not measure us based upon our, our choices in the past, the more we realize we don't have to be led by guilt and shame and condemnation. He loves us unconditionally so where does it begin we said it begins in eternity and you know who is this God who talks about eternity we talked from T.F. Torrance out of his book the Christian doctrine of God there's an unbroken relationship relation of being and action between the son and the father and, and in Jesus Christ that relation has been embodied in our human existence once and for all father son Holy Spirit cohesively connected in their love which is outpouring outward focused they drew us up into it when did they do that Mr. Curlis before the foundations of the earth and why did they do it Mr. Curlis because they love us simple as that they're motivated out of love God has never been motivated towards us out of anger, and he's never been motivated out of response to anything we've ever said or done. He's always motivated out of love. So there there is thus no God behind the back of Jesus Christ 
but only this God whose face we see in the face of the Lord Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And what is the book of John constantly reminding us? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the love of the Father. And I challenge you in the book of John to find one place where he condemned a single person. Zero. Nada. It's not there. He had some harsh words for the Pharisees at times. But why? Someone jump in. Why was he critical of the Pharisees? In their self-righteousness, in their study of the Word, the written Word, they missed the living Word who was standing right there. You see, as much truth as this book contains, it doesn't get you into relationship with God. He draws you into relationship. And this book is a revelation about Him and about us in terms of relationship. And sure, there are some cautionary things about, you know, some things we might not want to do because the wages of sin is death in the natural, but it doesn't affect the relationship. And I can make choices. If I stand up here and drink a gallon of bleach, I think I've got a problem, don't you? More than one. More than one. You probably will be burying me. And Greg, I give you permission to do my funeral. Thank you very much. (laughs) And Baxter Kruger in The Shack Revisited said, For all of eternity, God is not alone and solitary, but lives as Father, Son, and Spirit in a rich and glorious and abounding fellowship of utter oneness. There is no emptiness in this circle, no depression or fear or insecurity. And he's calling us into the fullness of that circle in the, in the, with the expectation of delivering us from any depression or any fear or any insecurity as we come into the fullness of the awareness of the loving relationship that God has drawn us into. Perfect love does what? It casts out fear. And so it's about coming to an awareness of this perfect love that is always good towards us. If I didn't say anything else today, that'd be a sermon in and of itself, wouldn't it? But I can't contain myself. <laughs> uh, let me just move on here a minute. Grace is a message of union. We talked about from the, from the mirror, France. Francois talks about on page 21. How many of you went and read the introduction to the mirror? Yes! Yes! I'm proud of you. Man began in God. You are the greatest idea that God has ever had. Gary, look at Sharon. Tell her she's the greatest idea that God has ever had. Flesh was designed to recognize God. And we talked about last, you know, last week and a few times before how internally there's a part of us wired to just know God. But sometimes we make choices that darken our thinking, that, that put a veil over our eyes, 
and it mutes that that place a little bit. But you know what? God's not surprised by that. How do I know that? Because before the foundation of the universe, he put a plan in place. And that plan was Jesus. And when God imagined you, he imagined a being whose intimate friendship would intrigue him for eternity. All right. How many of you can raise your right hand? Repeat after me. I intrigue God. I intrigue God. Now. And forever. forever. Amen. Amen. You intrigue God. Mankind would be a partner in God's triune oneness. His image and likeness would be unmasked in human life. How many of you got phones that you can take a selfie with? I don't even know where my phone is. Next Next time you think about it, pull out your phone, take a selfie and go... That's the image and likeness of God in human life. Linda, however you want to represent God is up to you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. The mission of Jesus was not to begin the Christian religion. Thank you, Lord. His mandate was to reveal and redeem the image and likeness of God in human form. Say, I'm God in human form. Because I bear his image and likeness. I'm not the creator, but I represent him well. Amen? We expect nothing less in the context of the gospel than you enjoying a face to face encounter in the immediate presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. I challenge you to ask God for a face to face encounter. I said that a few weeks ago, and Linda had one. You see, God wants to show His face to you. And He wants you, because you bear that same image and likeness, to show it to a world that's thirsty. Moving on. Grace is totally unilateral. This is where we left off. I corrected the spelling on that word. Initiated and completed by God. Deuteronomy 32.18 You neglected the rock who had fathered you. You forgot the God who had given you birth. And because we forgot, how many of you can easily remember what you forgot? Doesn't it usually take something to spark that coming back? Mm -hmm. Who's the spark? Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus is running on this eight-cylinder, perfectly timed engine with lots of power, maybe even a Hemi. I don't know. Gary, you can help me out here. Just constantly firing to bring back the image and likeness in you. My son, my daughter, you bear my image. You bear my likeness. You may have forgotten, but I haven't. And the mirror... Ephesians 2.8 Your salvation is not a reward for good behavior. It was a grace thing from start to finish. Is the manifestation of grace in the world today finished? From God's side of it. Yes. From our side of it, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, is we're still getting it. But from His side, it's a done deal. It is 
finished. You had no hand in it. Take your hands, put them behind your back, and repeat after me. I had no hand in the manifestation of grace who's Jesus Christ. All right, amen. Even the gift to believe simply reflects His faith. He gives you the capacity to believe because it reflects His faith. When Jesus went to the cross, do you think He knew He was coming out of the grave? Oh yeah, why? Because it was planned in eternity before the foundation of the universe. He knew that His Father and the Holy Spirit would, were going there with Him and they could not be contained. How can you contain God? Can a, can a tomb contain God? No. So we need to stop trying to contain God. Let Him be God in your life. I mean, Linda and John gave us the testimony of the first fruits of what we are going to be seeing more and more of. I believe that. I believe that. The God who fed millions of people with manna and quail can certainly stretch a little string. Don't you think? I don't know about you guys, but I'm like suddenly stoked. <laughs> Romans eleven six in the mirror. Grace cannot suggest debt or obligation at the same time. The word grace can only mean what it says. The same argument goes for mankind's good works. If salvation or any advantage for that matter is to be obtained according to the prescribed regulations of conduct, then that's it. No amount of grace can change the rules. Grace means grace and works means works. But let me back up. Grace cannot suggest debt or obligation at the same time. If grace suggests debt, then what? It's not grace. If grace says, you are obliged to me, if God says, you are obliged to do this to me to gain my favor, then it's not grace. Then it's your works. What do you think of that? I'm looking around like, if God says it's grace and not works, why do we think it's works and not grace? Where did that come from? came from the law. The law demands what? Punishment. The law demands justice. The law demands that you behave and perform to be compensated by God. And the law was never intended for that. So if it was never intended for that, who put that spin on it? Man manifested in religious circles, in the church, in traditions, in government. Because what is our system of justice about in government? Law. It's about law. It's about controlling behavior. Except in the last couple of weeks, we've lost our sense of due process. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Hebrews 13.9 out of the New King James, Do not be carried about but with various and strange doctrines, 
For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. This is in that section where it talks about don't let people tell you what to eat, what to marry, how you can marry, or when to marry, or when you can't marry. It's about grace. And when you start putting conditions on relationship with God, the scriptures start calling it strange doctrines. Remember the concept of strange fire? When, was it um, Eli's sons, I think it was, the, the high priest, they took strange fire into the temple and they got zapped? Now, that was under the Old Covenant and they were under specific instruction. But the concept is when you start adding things, when you start deciding how you're going to relate to God, God calls it a strange doctrine. And he goes, don't go there. If he doesn't want you to go there, why? Why does God say avoid strange doctrines? Turns our eyes away from him, and it starts putting us on the performance mode. And then it becomes about what we do. And then when I fail in the standard that I set for myself, what happens? I get angry at God. I start feeling guilt. I start feeling shame. I start feeling condemnation because I look at the standard that I have adopted that God has not imposed on me and I go, gee, I failed. And that's not what God wants. The gospel, this is your invitation to the kingdom of God. There's an article in Grace Communion International And it says, everyone has some concept of right and wrong, and everyone has done something wrong, even by his or her own definition. I mean, there's this proverb that says, to err is human, says a common proverb. Everyone has betrayed a friend, broken a promise, or hurt someone's feelings. Everyone has experienced the feeling of guilt. Is there anyone in this room who's never experienced guilt? Because if you you haven't, come talk to me, because I want to know how you did it. People, therefore, want God to stay away from them. And that's, that isn't in part, that's what Adam did when he hid. He wanted God to stay away from him. Why? Because he was feeling bad by himself out of his own thoughts, not by what God had spoken to him, but he had internalized his failure as guilt and shame and condemnation. And that generated fear and anxiety and when we do that, then we want God to stay away. So we, we create religious beliefs and religious systems and go, I'm going to put God over here and I'll do this and this and this, but God stays out here while I do this and this and this. I confess my sins. I read, my, I read 10 chapters a day, all trying to appease him so he won't come closer. <laughs> Right? People therefore want God to stay away from them. They know that they cannot stand before God with a clear conscience. Who told them that? They did. They know they should obey Him, and they also know that they have not. They are ashamed and guilty. And isn't that what religion does to us? How can their guilt be erased? How can the conscience be cleared? To forgive is divine, the proverb concludes but God himself will forgive. 
Many people know the proverb, but somehow do not believe that God is divine enough to forgive their sins. They still feel guilty. They still feel, feel fear and the appearance of God and the day of judgment. That's a tough place to live. However, God has already appeared. Woohoo! In the person of Jesus Christ. He did not condemn, come to condemn, but to save. What did he say? I have not come to condemn. I've come to seek and save the lost. I have not come to judge the world. I've come to seek and save the lost. He brought a message of forgiveness and he died on a cross to guarantee that we may be forgiven. The message of Jesus, the message of the cross is good news for all who feel their guilt. Jesus, the divine human, has died for us. Forgiveness is given freely to all. Think Diane Feinstein is forgiven? Do you think that Cory Booker, who is lashing out at Judge Kavanaugh for the same things that he did confirmed when he was 16 and 17, is forgiven? He is. We need this message of good news. Christ's gospel brings peace of mind, happiness, and personal victory. How about saying this with me? The victory is mine. I, Terry, declare that Christ's gospel brings peace to my mind, presents happiness to me, and is my personal victory. When I personalize it, it rings true. The true gospel is really good news. It's the gospel the apostles preached. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 Jesus Christ is our hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 and the resurrection from the dead, and the message of hope and salvation for humanity. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus preached. And that's the gospel that Paul preached. And that's the gospel that Peter came to an awakening in his later writings. You realize that's the gospel Peter preached. And John preached. Isn't that cool? And it's okay if we don't get it immediately because it's an ever-unfolding revelation from our side. Grace is the heart of the gospel. We are saved by God's gift, not by our works. The gospel is the message of His grace. Look at the message uh, Bible, verse, uh, verses 1 through 3 out of chapter 14. When they got to Iconium, this is Paul, When they got to Iconium, they went, as they always did, to the meeting place of the Jews and gave their message. Now, what do you think happened when Paul stepped into the synagogue in Iconium and he gave his message? What do you think happened? Some believed. Some didn't. Most didn't. Why? Because they were steeped in the law. The message convinced both Jews and non-Jews, and not just a few either, But the unbelieving Jews worked up a whispering campaign against Paul and Barnabas, sowing mistrust and suspicion in the minds of the people in the street. 
You know that Don Keithley guy? He's just leading people astray. They're all going to go to hell because he's preaching Christ crucified and includes everyone in his victory. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. You know that Terry Heiss and that Greg Aldrich, every time they stand in the pulpit and start talking about grace, boy, I'll tell you what, you need to stay away from them because they're going to lead you astray. I've been told that so many times, even before I started teaching grace on a regular basis. Stay away from that one. That was in the context of healing. When I actually dared to believe that Jesus was the healer and he healed out of his atonement, people said, stay away from that one. The two apostles were there a long time speaking freely, openly, and confidently as they presented the evidence of God's gifts, God corroborating their work with miracles and wonders. Would you say that God corroborated something in your life, Linda? Oh, she's gone. Ah, John, did God corroborate anything in your life when you opened up the envelope and found something that you didn't think was there? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Acts 15.11 out of the New Living Translation. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a twist to the right, to the left. Do you believe you're saved by grace? Do you believe everyone else is saved in the same way? You've just professed the gospel of the good news. Acts twenty twenty four out of the New Living. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it. This is Paul speaking. Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I'm going to wind up that little thing in the back on each one of you and say, go proclaim the good news. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. <laughs> you can do it. That's all you got to do is, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. <clears throat> Grace is manifested by the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, Christ with us, or God with us. Our salvation depends on what Christ has done. He is the Savior, the one who rescues us. We cannot brag about our obedience our faith, because they are always defective. But Terry, you have to have faith in Jesus. No, I have to understand the faith of Jesus. Because my faith is never going to quite get me over the hump. Because I'm always going to be in the back of my mind going, what did I miss? What did I miss? But when I focus on the faith of Jesus, that He is faithful and just to do what He says He's going to do, and has accomplished what he says he has accomplished for everyone, including me. Is he or is he not? Is he a liar or is he not? I dare say he's not a liar. What do you dare say? And if you dare say he's not a liar, then he's your healer. Then he's your provider. He's your deliverer. He's the one who romances your heart. And he goes, tickle, tickle, tickle. I just wanted you to know I'm here. (laughs) The only thing we can be proud of is what Christ has done. And he did it for everyone, 
not just us. So I got news for the Baptists. They're not the only ones going to heaven. When I got news for the assemblies, those who don't speak in tongues make it to heaven. Just saying. Matthew one twenty three out of Young's Living Translation. I threw a Young's in for my friend Greg. Lo, the virgin shall conceive, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, with us, he is God. With us, he is God. With us, he is God. Where is he? With us. And what is he? God. So in the, in the depth of those moments when you feel isolated from God, when you feel like he doesn't understand or he doesn't care, you go, with us, with me, he is God. Little reminders. Because life comes and it whips us sometimes. And the winds of, of change we seem to sometimes struggle with. And so in those moments when we're not really clearly thinking, God will go, I'm here. Remember, I'm Emmanuel. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's His expression of, I want everyone to join me in the circle. That's his desire. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 16, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And what he's saying here is you Gentiles, you were so blinded, and you are judged by the circumcised, meaning the Jews, and you are outside, buddy. You're outside the camp. We've made it. You can't. Isn't that wonderful? I made it. You don't? Paul's saying, yeah, no. But now in Christ, Jesus, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's he saying there? Someone talk to me. There's no us and them. The law doesn't define us. God does. I'm tired of living by the law. Tired of it. Literally living by the law wears you out. It exhausts your strength. Linda. It is. It is. And yet, 
the vestiges of the world go, come back, come back. I miss you. I'll give you bonus points if you come back. That's that capital one card. <laughs> Galatians 3, 21 through 23. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture hath the promise by faith of Jesus Christ concluded all under sin that might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, but shut up unto the faith which would afterwards be revealed. So from that period to Adam until the law, there was no revelation or recognition of sin because there was no standard. Then God gave the, the revelation of the law to Israel in part for their benefit, but also in part for the world to know there is a standard that I am God and I'm calling you to me. And then ultimately through Christ, we are all reconciled. And that takes us to metanoia, which was that fifth point. We're changed by the process of metanoia. Now, if you got your mirror Bible, I'm going to refer you to a couple pages. I'm going to take you to page 17 of the introduction. And right down in the middle, when it starts at Isaiah 55, it's verses 8 through 11, it says, Isaiah 55, 8-11 gives meaning to metanoia. Your thoughts were distanced from God's thoughts as the heavens are higher than the earth. But, just like the rain and the snow would cancel that distance and saturate the soil to awaken its seed, so shall my word be that proceeds from my mouth. So God starts the process of metanoia. Metanoia being changing our mind, especially changing our mind about God. But it's a process that starts with God in the revelation through His Word. And His Word is Jesus. Right? Now flip over to page 135 a minute. And in the footnote to Romans 2, 4, in the middle there it says... The word repentance is a fabricated word from the Latin word penance, and to give religion more mileage, the English, English word became repentance. This is not what the Greek word means at all. The word metanoia comes from meta, meaning together with, and naos, or mind, thus together with God's mind. I'm on page 135 in the, in the middle of the footnote on verses 2-4. On verse 2-4. So he's saying that metanoia is to understand God's mind, and he really means about you. So the, so the process of metanoia, the process of understanding grace from God's perspective, starts with God. Revealing to you truth. And there isn't one person in this room that can't perceive truth at the right moment, at the right time, when God says it's now for you. And there isn't one person on that street 
or in any street in this community that can't receive truth when God says it's the right moment at the right time now for them. True? Metanoia, what is it? I just told you. What is God's role in metanoia? I just told you. His role is to initiate the revelation of truth. And what's our role? That's a good question. Romans 12, 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourself, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our role, God, I want my mind transformed and renewed. God, I want all darkness obliterated. I understand, Lord, it's a process, but I expect that you will reveal it to me as I need it and as I move forward. And I commit, God, to moving forward, not because I have to, because I want to. I want to respond, Lord, to metanoia by... By seeking, being in a position in worship to let a phrase or a word be inspired in me, to let a phrase or a word in the written word inspire me, but more importantly, to let the Holy Spirit go. Now, Terry, let's go have a discussion. What do you want to talk about, Lord? Or on the other hand, Lord, I don't understand this. Will you reveal it to me? You know, God, God there's not a question you can ask God that He can't handle. And if it's important to you, it's important to Him. Let me say that again. If you have a question that's important to you, it's important to Him. Why? Because He loves you. And if it's important to you and you intrigue Him, it's important to Him. Almost done. I see my wife looking at the clock. Romans 12, 1 from the mirror. 12 through 3. Live consistent with who you really are. Inspired by the loving kindness, another typo, of God. Who are you? You're a child of the King. You're a member of the perichoritic circle by the act of Jesus Christ. Live consistent with that. You are not a worm. You are not a dog begging for scraps from the table. Your child of the king. Live consistent with that. My brothers, the, the most practical expression of worship is to make your bodies available to him as a living sacrifice. This pleases him more than any religious routine. And you know what I'm beginning to understand about making your bodies available to him? Terry, go talk to that person. <laughs> Terry, just like Norman told us the other day, speak a kind word in the parking lot to someone. Terry, just shine me. It's not hard. It's not that I have to do something other than be who I am. Do you know Diane can do this? John can do this? John can do this? Greg can do this. Everyone in the room can do it. Just be you. 
And you know what? I may have some warts, but it's okay because I know the God that can remove them in his timing. And I call this live in the moment. This is my insertion. How can I do this if I'm not living in the moment? I can't. Because if my mind is in future mode, I'm missing the opportunities now. If my mind is rapture mode, I'm missing the opportunities now. You know, the rapture, the tribulation, they take care of themselves. Don't worry about it. You'll either miss it or you won't. But I don't think anybody's going to miss it because I'm not sure there is one yet. I think there's a gathering of us up, but I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. But you know what? I don't have to think about that because the one who said I cannot be snatched out of his hands has already made a plan. Someone live in the now. If I didn't live in the now, I wouldn't stand up here, guys. He deserves to find visible individual expression of your person. He likes your individuality. Do not allow current religious tradition to mold you into its pattern of reasoning. Like an inspired artist, give attention to the detail of God's desire to find expression in you. Become acquainted with perfection to accommodate yourself to the delight and good pleasure of Him who will transform your thoughts afresh from within. You read an inspirational book, it doesn't change you from without, it stirs something within. You have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and it stirs you from within. You have a, a revelation of an inspired thought of the Holy Spirit and it changes you from within. That's what grace does. And I keep moving along in my life doing the things that God has led me to do. And then if he says, change course, I change course. I don't strive to figure out my next course. I wait for him to tell me to change course. Make sense? His grace gift inspires me to say that you say to you that your thinking must be consistent with everything that is within within you according to the measure of faith that God has apportioned to every individual. You know, I've been thinking about that. The measure of faith that God has apportioned to every individual is the faith of Christ. You have the measure of faith, and His name is Jesus. Let the revelation of redemption shape your thoughts. Let the fact that you are saved and it's not by your works shape your thoughts. Let the, let the revelation that you are His beloved shape your thoughts. Amen? So we need to be intentional about our thinking about God. That's grace from God's perspective to the extent that I want to share it today. doesn't mean we won't visit it again sometime. But that's the objective manifestation of grace. Raise your left hands, if you would. Just because I want to be different. And declare with me, I am the revelation of His grace. He told me it. He's not a liar. I accept it. Amen. Thank you, guys. You just, you know, you're all, I'm having fun today and you're just helping me.